uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Motherboard Editor-in-Chief Jason Kebler in for Matt Galt, whose mixing board is not working at the moment, or rather, he doesn't have it yet. So uh, I'll be your host today. I'm here with Lorenzo Franceschi, Bikirai. Hi, Lorenzo. Hi, Jason. Hello, everyone. It's good to have you. We're doing this, uh, as we mentioned last week, we're, we're trying a new thing where we're recording live. And today we're talking about a story you just broke. Um, about Cineverse. Do you want to tell us, uh, A, what happened here, and B, uh, what is Cineverse? So I guess the long story short is that Cineverse, which is one of the largest global providers of network infrastructure, was hacked for years, maybe five years, um, and they just disclosed this uh, a week around a week ago in a filing to the SEC. Um, Cineverse is probably a company that you haven't heard about because they don't have, uh, they don't interact with the consumers, with cell phone users. Their customers are companies like Verizon, AT&T, Telefonica, which is like a Spanish cell phone provider that um, is present in uh, also South America. Vodafone in the UK and other countries, uh, China Mobile, one of the largest cell phone providers in China. So what they do is essentially allow these companies to talk to each other when their cell phone customers want to talk to each other. So let's say that you travel to Europe and you have an American cell phone. Cineverse helps helps your cell phone connect to your network at home, let's say your AT&T network. Uh, They also route uh, text messages all over the world. Uh, they say that it's like billions every year, billions of text messages. Uh, they keep like billing data. So, you know, that can be as boring as the cost of a call, but as sensitive as who you called, when, for how long, uh, where you were when you called. I think it's important to note that the location data is not super uh, precise. It's not like GPS data, but, you know, it's like cell phone base stations, cell phone towers. So roughly, you know, where you are, uh, you know, the neighborhood you're in, the city you're in, the country you're in. Right. Um, I think one of the really critical things, like this really put it in perspective for me. Um, in 2019, there was basically like a mishap. Uh, there was like a configuration update in the back end of Cineverse. And basically like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of text messages just kind of got lost in transit. Like they just didn't, people sent them and they didn't get to the recipient and not only did that happen, it's just like they disappeared for months. Um, and then like whenever the update took, people were getting these text messages from actually Valentine's Day, like months and months later. And so, um, as you said, Cineverse is one of these companies that not that many people have heard of, but it's basically like a, it's a telecom infrastructure company that uh, is hugely important behind the scenes. And as you mentioned, they were hacked, and, and not only were they hacked, but the hacker was in the system for five years, which is kind of mind-boggling. Um, Lorenzo, so I went to, on the Cineverse YouTube earlier today just to check out how they pitch themselves. Um, I think it's worth uh, having a watch. So this is um, from a video called, like, We Are Cineverse, essentially. Um, and let's see if this plays. I think that it will, though. make that work 
Sorry, everyone. Here we go. Hello. We're Cineverse. Synergy plus Universe. We bring the mobile world together. Here's an example. You get on a plane. Turn on your mobile device when you land. And you get connected to anyone with any mobile phone operator anywhere in the world. We make that work. Now say you want to get emails, surf the web, send a text to anyone on any network anywhere. How does that work? There are hundreds of mobile phone operators worldwide. Each one is like an island. Cineverse provides the bridges between these network islands. So when you have operator A and your friend has operator B or C or D, we connect you and everyone is happy. We make the complex simple. We are the heart of your communications world and we deliver endless possibilities. That's beautiful. Simply beautiful. Um, so I, there's a, a lot of videos like this on their YouTube where they just kind of talk about how they connect people and make everyone happy. Um, they also provide some of the infrastructure for like uh, business text messages. So if you're a business and you want to um, send messages to your customers, like you can contract with Cineverse and and you can tell them like, hey, we're giving a promotion to our clothes store or hey, um, you know, for a wait list at a restaurant, like that's the sort of um, service that Cineverse can provide. But I think the crucial thing and, and the thing that um, obviously came up through in this video is when you send an SMS, like say I have Verizon and you have AT&T and we're not using iMessage or WhatsApp, we're using like SMS, um, Cineverse kind of handles like the infrastructure that allows me to talk to you, at least as I understand it. Is that is that right, Lorenzo? Yeah, that's correct. And uh, as you said earlier, I think the the incident, you know, the Valentine's incident of 2019 really shows you, you know, just how much uh, content and data they handle. Um you know, it's not, it's not just businesses. Uh, it could be anyone. Um, you know, I think there's, there are some numbers that I think help explain the potential impact of this breach. Cineverse says that 95 of the 100 biggest cell phone carriers in the world are their customers. Um, you know, we mentioned some of them earlier. Uh, in the data breach disclosure, which was in the SEC filing, Cineverse said, and I quote, uh, well, Cinever says that the, the breach hit um, approximately 235 of its customers. First of all, I'm a little confused at what approximately actually means here, because it's, is it 235? Is it more? Uh, it seems to me, like I'm reading through the lines here, reading between the lines, it seems like they are not sure, which is kind of concerning. Um, they also say that out of, uh, out of precaution, they reset all their customers' passwords, even the ones uh, that they believe were not compromised, which again shows me, I mean, that's a good security practice after a data breach, but it could also mean that they're not still uh, sure of the extent of the data breach. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really curious here, like 
You had a lot of back and forths with Cineverse's, you know, PR firm. Um, I believe it was an external PR firm that sort of maybe was hired to do damage control here. Um, they disclosed this to the SEC. And I'm curious because that's that's not usually how we learn about hacks. Like often we learn about hacks because a huge amount of information is dumped somewhere or we learn about it because a company will put out a press release saying, hey, you know, we were hacked and you need to change your password or whatever. Here we found out about it through an official government filing. I'm curious, like, was this a required disclosure because of some sort of law? Like, I know, I know that there's been some legislation over the last few years that has um, required companies to be to to give disclosures more often than they they may have before. So, do we know under like what statute this was actually disclosed and and why? Yeah. So, there's two things to that are worth mentioning here, and like sort of. Um untangling. One is what Cineverse is saying in the filing and to us, which is, again, kind of vague. Um, you know, the, the people that I spoke with, the sources that I spoke with, uh, believe that the vagueness is on purpose. They believe that Cineverse either doesn't know exactly how bad it is um, or doesn't want to say it. Uh, and that could be for many reasons. Um, it could be because they're still investigating. They say that they detected this a breach in May 2016, which, you know, it's five months ago, which sounds like a lot. But given that this is a five years old or a five year old and ongoing, you know, it lasted for five years, data breach, it's possible that they're still investigating. It's possible that they're still trying to figure out where the hackers were, how, you know, how deep they went into the network, whether there's still some backdoors and stuff like that. To answer your question more directly, I think that this was part of the disclosure that they are doing, um, part of the process that they're undergoing to go public. They just recently announced the merger with a, a company that essentially will take them to Wall Street. And this is one of the filings that they have to do to disclose their risks, to you know, sort of open up uh, to potential investors that may want to invest. Um, this was, I don't think that this was part of a, some sort of a legal obligation to disclose a data breach. Those laws, I think, there's no federal law uh, about disclosing data breaches yet. There are state laws, but they are, you know, they differ, they differ from state to state. And usually they compel companies only in the case, only when hackers access personal information, which I think it's also like legally limited to stuff like credit card information, social security numbers, uh, things like that. So in this case, that's just data that, you know, Cineverse just doesn't have. They don't have, they don't collect SSNs, they don't collect uh, credit card numbers. Um, but that doesn't mean that this wasn't bad. Right. right. So, I, I mean, I, I do want to talk, um, you know, you, as I said, you had a bunch of back and forths with their um, PR folks and like they were very vague in terms of what was actually accessed. Um, although, you know, it seems as though this was a bad hack just based on how it was written up in the, in the SEC report, the types of data that Cineverse has, the fact that it impacted so many of its customers, as well as the fact that that just like, we know what Cineverse does based on, um, you know, this uh, Valentine's Day um, mishap from a few years ago where text messages went missing. It's like it's not just the metadata. It's also the 
content of SMS messages. And I think um, a really, I think Karsten Knoll, who is a security researcher that we've talked to a lot of times, one of the most respected uh, people in this space, kind of put this into perspective. He said, quote, Cineverse has access to the communication of hundreds of millions, if not billions of people around the world. A five-year breach of one of Cineverse's main systems is a global privacy disaster. Um, and then he goes on to speculate and says, well, this isn't speculation, but he, he's basically saying Cineverse systems have direct access to phone call records and text messaging and indirect access to a large range of internet accounts protected with SMS two-factor authentication. Hacking Cineverse will ease access to Google, Microsoft, Facebook, Twitter, Amazon, and all kinds of other accounts all at once. Um, I want to talk about that indirect access uh, for a minute because um, I didn't think about this when I first, when you first came to me saying you were going to write this story. But basically, you know, SMS two-factor is still the most popular form of two-factor authentication. And if if someone were able to essentially access the text messages of everyone in the world, um, more or less in real time, which is the type of data that Cineverse is handling. You know, this could be this could be a very real disaster. Yeah, I think uh, Karsten's point is very important, you know, and as you said, this is speculation just because Cineverse doesn't want to tell us what what happened exactly. But, you know, this is data that they have access to on a day to day basis, uh, you know, from multiple countries in the world. And it is very, you know, it is possible that whoever was in there uh, was intercepting these text messages and you know if you intercept those then you can reset passwords you can hack into accounts and as Karsten said you know it's we're talking about every company in the world essentially right let's say that the hackers wanted to you know get into my gmail they could have just um, intercepted a, a token that went to my phone uh, or even like yeah and at that point they could have just uh, got in um in the, the potential impact, I think, if we want, if we want to speculate, is also that you can, you know, monitor where someone is moving, someone is traveling, where they are, who they're talking to. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have information about this yet, but my gut, when I look at something like this, my gut feeling is this is a state-sponsored hacking group. They were there for five years. They were relatively stealthy because. You know, they were there for five years. They didn't get caught in five years, which means that they weren't like downloading records, uh, you know, willy nilly getting everybody's data. Um, yeah. And, I mean, can, can you talk a little bit about that? Because it's like we obviously don't know who did this hack. We don't know the level of damage. We don't know whether, um, you know, this data was used in some nefarious way. But when you have a hacker who is in, a system for five years um, and it's it's the type of uh, company like Cineverse where it's sort of, it's sort of like not a public facing company it's like behind uh, the scenes it's it's a behind the scenes internet infrastructure type of company I mean what does that suggest about the types of actors who a have this type of sophistication and b the types of people who sit in a network for for that long yeah, I mean, let's put it that way. Senator Ron Wyden said that the data that Cineverse manages is an espionage gold mine. So if this was a state-sponsored government 
hacking group, which again, we don't know, but if it was that, then this is just a great company to be in. This is a company you want to be in as long as you can, because you could just use it whenever you need to. Let's say that you want to monitor a dissident that's like in another country. You want to know who they talk to, who they're close to. Um, you know, it's not even about getting their two FAA codes. You, you, you can do that, but what you want to do here, what you may want to do is just keep an eye on them. Maybe intercept the text message that they send to someone. Uh, maybe delete it if, uh, I don't know, if one of your like spy agency colleagues goes to a country and, and you want to delete a record, then you can do that too. Um, it's just like, I think it's important to know that like while the extent of the breach can be huge, it's also unlikely that these guys downloaded like millions of millions and millions of text messages. They probably did not need to do that. Right. What What do you think is going to happen here in terms of like, like what happens now? They've disclosed this breach. We've written about it. You know, other people are going to write about it, presumably. Um, you know, do you think that more information will naturally come out? Does this raise to the level of something where we're going to get like a congressional inquiry? What What have lawmakers said so far? Yeah, so far, the only one who's, um, you know, waiting is Senator Ron Wyden, who said that this raises a lot of questions about, you know, the cybersecurity uh, levels that Cineverse has, their due diligence, uh, the fact that, you know, they did not disclose this for months, the fact that it took them five years to find out about the hackers. Um, you know, it's really hard to tell whether this will get to Congress or anything like that. But this is the kind of story that at some point will need to we will need to know more. Like they, the company just needs to be more open. Um, presumably they, well, they said that they, they are reaching out and they've been reaching out to their customers, meaning the AT&Ts and T-Mobiles of the world uh, to notify them of this damage. And they are investigating as well. They notified law enforcement. Um, so there's, uh, you know, presumably an FBI investigation. We reached out to the FBI they did not respond. Um, we reached out to the FCC, which probably has some sort of uh, authority here. They may be investigating uh, CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency of the U.S. government, uh, declined to comment. They may have some authority uh, to investigate here. So I guess this is all to say that more things will shake out. Uh, there's just too many open questions here. There's just too many details that are unknown and that someone will need to know. You know, maybe Cineverse told us that they don't expect to make any public statement about this. That is to me is very surprising because, well, you know, when you say something like that, you're basically saying we don't want to talk about it anymore. Um, but, you know, one thing is to get um, a press request from me or somebody else at you know, the Times or the Washington Post or whatever. One thing is getting a letter from a senator or a congress. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Congress uh, congressperson. Right. So, I mean, so, in, in the so past, we, we've yeah. seen like, you know, maybe this will happen, maybe it won't, but maybe Ron Wyden will ask for, um, like, we'll send a, a series of questions and you, you essentially like have to respond to that if you're Cineverse, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, this could, this could be like a national security issue. Potentially it can be a national security issue. So, so, you know, those, those messages, those emails or those calls from, from politicians and regulators, they will have to answer those. Right. Um, so I, I would do want to talk a little bit more about, uh, I guess, before we move on, there's some people in the chat who are asking about the Facebook um, outage, like we're recording this. Mm. Uh, Facebook has been down for about two hours, which is a very long time in Facebook world. Um, obviously, there's nothing to suggest that this has anything to do with that. Um, just to, to clarify that for people, the, the Cineverse uh, breach was discovered in May 2021. And we learned about it last week. We just didn't publish it because we wanted to, to clarify a couple details before we went up with the story. So um, no no connection between Cineverse and, and Facebook outage. Yeah, I mean, it's even, um, we don't know about if there's, whether there's a connection, but I don't think there could be because Cineverse just doesn't touch that kind of, uh, that kind of stuff. For now, all we know is that Facebook uh, Somehow, uh, the DNS records of Facebook, Instagram, uh, WhatsApp, you know, all, basically all servers, all domains uh, under the Facebook umbrella were just deleted from the the internet records, essentially. Uh, you know, sounds like it was some sort of a, if I had to guess, it's some sort of a mishap. Um, it's, you know, I don't even know if you can do that as a, as a, as a, as a hacking group. That's a... Uh, that's yeah, I mean, like I, I think that I just wrote yeah. about this, just a quick story. And it, it is interesting to me because um, Facebook doesn't go down very often. And when there's huge internet outages, it often is a company like Cineverse. Like there was a level three um, a DNS attack a few years ago, I believe, that sort of took down large swaths of the internet. And there was an AWS outage a few years ago that took down like... I don't know, hundreds of the biggest, uh, hundreds of the biggest websites on the planet. But this current Facebook outage seems to be primarily Facebook only. It's like Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger. And so that suggests to me that it's like, this is some sort of Facebook specific problem. And I'm actually surprised that it's still down because it's like two hours for Facebook to be down is, is a really long time. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that is the big story here. It's the length of the outage because as, as you noticed, as you noted, like these things happen once in a while. You know, the internet is a very complex machine. There's a lot of interconnected parts. If one of them breaks, uh, many others can break. Uh, and, you know, every year we have like some shorter outages of Twitter, Slack, whatever that happens once in a while. But two hours for a company like that, you know, like, they have probably hundreds of people whose day job is to make sure that this doesn't happen, whose day job is to just make sure that the website stays up because that's their whole business. For this to have been a few hours, it's really crazy. Like the, I really want to, you know, I wish I was in the Facebook uh, corridors or their Slack channels or whatever to hear what they're, you know, what they're talking about. In the, fact, 
The only thing we've heard from Facebook like, so far has been on on Twitter, which, which is obviously yeah, right. like ironic. I was but. gonna say that, like, if the if Facebook.com the domain is down, that means that their email services are down. That probably means that they cannot even log into Slack, for example. I don't know, like, or if they, they if they have like an internal chat, um, a, sort of a Slack internal Slack that's like Facebook run, that's not working right now. So it's probably even hard for them to deal with this because they cannot communicate with each other, especially, you know, in pandemic days where a lot of people still work from home. Right, right. Um, Anything else on Cineverse? I feel like um, there's like more to come here. This is obviously like one of the bigger hacks that we've covered in a while. Um, I always am surprised by the fact that just like a, a new and interesting company with new and interesting data uh, is is hacked and like it has these knock-on effects that you kind of aren't expecting. Um, I guess, you know, I'm very curious as to who did this. So I think in terms of next lines of reporting, it's like we're going to keep looking into who did this and why and was the data abused and that sort of thing. Um, if you know, please hit us up. But um I don't know. Like, I, I, did we miss anything on the original hack on, on in terms of what we know already? I think we haven't. But you know, if there's a takeaway on this story right now and looking forward, is there's two big questions. I think the biggest one is what data exactly was accessed by the hackers. You know, what were they interested in? Did they take anything? If so, what? Um, and Cineverse right now just refuses to answer that question. We asked that question many times. Uh, we tried to really stress out the fact that that was the key question, right? Because, you know, after all, we are a general interest publication. We're we're not a business publication. Obviously, it's interesting that uh, Verizon uh, may be affected, but we wanted to know whether regular people, you know, just cell phone users were affected. So that's the big question. The second thing that I was surprised, and I think at some point Cineverse will have to explain, is why they are so cagey about this. One of the reasons that I think may explain this is that they're going public. And as part of that process, they're sort of in a, in a phase of like, you know, embargo or like, uh, they don't want to talk to the press in general. Uh, but you know, uh, this is kind of a big incident. So, uh, they, they, they will have to answer some questions. Right. Right. Uh, two other stories I want to talk about real quick before we sign off. Um, uh, employees at Citizen are unionizing. Um, <laughs> this is not a story I was expecting to uh, talk about today. Um, I did not know that that this was going to happen. But for anyone who's been uh, following along, Citizen is this vigilante justice um, like social network for crime, essentially. Uh, Joseph Cox has been doing really great reporting on them for the last few months. Um, and it all kind of came to a head in May when there was this wildfire in Los Angeles in the Pacific Palisades, which is a rich neighborhood overseeing sort of the beach and Malibu and Santa Monica and all these um, just very fancy neighborhoods. And what happened was there was an arson there and uh, the CEO of Citizen, whose name is Andrew Frame, lives kind of close by, and he logged on one Saturday night, and they did this thing called On Air, which is this, like, live, um, they basically, like, live stream crime 
essentially like live stream crime scenes. They've used it in the past to um, like reunite missing persons. And uh, the other day they were live streaming from uh, downtown LA where they had, where there, this gunman was uh, locked himself in a, inside a hotel room. Um, anyways, during the Pacific Palisades fiasco, Andrew frame set a bounty on this guy. Uh, he basically was like $30,000 to anyone who helps find this specific person. Um, they streamed for like six hours, put this guy's face on, uh, you know, on their app blasted, uh, you know, everyone who has the app in LA, which is like 800,000 people with these alerts saying like, find this guy, uh, and we'll give you $30,000. And a few days after that, uh, Joseph and I wrote a big story where we got all the Slack messages from this, uh, this incident, basically. Like we had someone, someone leaked them to us and we were able to see what was happening in real time. And we learned that the CEO, Andrew frame was like really pushing super hard behind the scenes, um, to, to find this person. And, you know, was saying things like find this fuck, like this guy is the devil. Like we need to find him by midnight. Like it was just, it was It was crazy, frankly. It was one of the craziest stories like I've ever seen. Um, And it was just really um, the level of leak that we got was kind of the the level of leak that you dream of where it's like we got everything like this was kind of everything that was happening in real time. And then we learned that the person that they were looking for was the wrong person. And so they essentially accused an innocent man of uh, starting a wildfire and then put a bounty on his head for $30,000. And we then had notes from an all hands meeting that citizen had uh, later that week where they were like, many employees were like, why did we do this? We're really upset about this. And apparently sort of this conversation and the disappointment associated with uh, this manhunt led citizen employees to, file for a union election with the NLRB. And so uh, they're unionizing. They say that they're kind of pushing for more control at the company, and they're also asking for more money and and things like this. Um, It's a really interesting situation because it's like we've been writing about uh, organized labor and labor unions, you know, with increasing frequency over the last few years. Um, And we've seen a lot of labor organizing among like gig workers and blue collar workers at tech companies. Um, But we haven't seen so much when it comes to the actual developers and tech employees at tech companies. And I think we've been wanting to see more of that. Um, The, the issue, and I want to speak lightly because I don't think workers should be abused anywhere they are, but, but basically like the issue is citizens, whole reason for being is like a surveillance app that uh, has disproportionately hurt uh, black people, black and brown people, homeless people. Um, It's just kind of like a mess of a company. And so I'm not sure how much change these people are going to be able to, to get if they um, unionize because it's like the entire reason for the company existing is one of surveillance yeah, it's a crossover I was not expecting for sure. Yeah, in the, the Motherboard Cinematic Universe. Um, and then the last one, I mean, we can talk about this real quick, is uh, we have um, 
there was a big ransomware arrest earlier today in Ukraine. Um, what can you tell us about this? We know very little about this because the police is not talking too much. But what the cops have said, and uh, this was a joint joint operation between Europol, which uh, helps uh, all European law enforcement agencies work together. They worked uh, with uh, the Ukraine cyber police and they arrested two people in, in Kiev in Ukraine. They were accusing them of being part of a ransomware gang that was... Um, I think they said that they were responsible for asking um, about $70 million in ransom. Uh, this is probably over like several incidents. What's interesting here is that they are not saying what gang they were part of. And they were very clear that they are not saying it for operational reasons, meaning there's probably more arrests to come. There's probably uh, other things that they're doing, you know, other law enforcement actions they're taking. And they just did not want to say uh, who these people worked for. They had a bunch of cash. Uh, they, had, they had a fancy-looking uh, gaming PC, which was set up for streaming. So, you know, unfortunately, they the police took that away. Otherwise, they could have joined. We've uh, got to bring them on here huh? at some point. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, you know, the cops took that that PC. Uh, but you know that's that's uh, something obviously not the biggest question in this of the world. Uh, but I, I would like to know what they were doing. You know, were they doing a podcast? Were they just uh, playing games? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting because we are seeing obviously a lot of ransomware incidents in the last few months. There's been unprecedented attention uh, towards ransomware in DC. Uh, you know, in other countries, other governments. Uh, heads of state like the President Biden have been talking about ransomware as a national security priority. And, you know, this is what law enforcement can do. They can go after the operators. But there's also an argument to be made that, you know, how how much hurt can you do to a gang that's like probably dozens of people all over the world just by arresting two of them. Right. Obviously, you know, that's that's how you start, I guess. Uh, that's how you send a message maybe as well. And you got to do it. You know, these are suspected criminals. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just another another step, uh, another like battle in a long war against ransomware. Yeah. Uh, Lorenzo, one last uh, thing. We have a, a user question from uh, Gunna Burns on Twitch. Uh, they say, thank you for reporting on these important stories on Twitch. Thank you for being here. Um, they said, I heard there were a few zero-day vulnerabilities that remain in Apple iOS 15, but were reported to Apple back in May. Have y'all done a story on this or know any more about it? Uh, the answer is yes, we have done a story about it. Uh, Lorenzo wrote about it a week ago or so. Um, what, yeah, what, what's yeah. going on here? Yeah, yeah, we did write about it. Uh, you know, initially when I when I was listening to the question, I was like, did we write about those? Because there's been so many that I'm, you know, we haven't written about all of them. But in this case, yes, uh, these are some uh, exploits or bugs. These are some vulnerabilities that um, an independent researcher reported to Apple between March and May. I think, I believe there were there were four. Three of them are still unpatched. Um, and, you know, the this person went through the whole process uh, process. They contacted Apple. They shared details about the vulnerabilities. Uh, Apple responded saying, we're on it. Uh, we're going to fix them. Thank you so much. 
and then they kind of went into a black hole, uh, meaning Apple did not communicate back to the researcher. Every time the researcher checked in, Apple was like, we're working on it. We're still working on it. Uh, I'm sorry. You know, thanks for your patience, things like that. And fast forward to September. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, the researcher was basically fed up. He did not want to wait any longer. And he published a blog post in which he disclosed all the details about these vulnerabilities. He even uh, published the exploit code, the source code, meaning that he essentially told everyone how to abuse these vulnerabilities, how to exploit these vulnerabilities and uh, and hack an iPhone. Now, this is very rare. No... Like it's super rare when yes. you actually get the actual code for yeah. a zero day dropped. Uh even I would say it's even pretty rare for a patched vulnerability to have the actual source code of the vulnerability dropped, at least yeah. for an iPhone. Yeah, there's many reasons for that. One of them is, in this case, Apple is very controlling of this kind of stuff. Their bug bounty program, which uh, the researcher was, uh, you know, part of, he, he was hoping for a for a bounty and was going through the bug bounty uh, process. I believe that their conditions is that the researcher who, who reports a bug has to agree that they cannot write anything about the bug before Apple tells them that it's okay to do it. So in a normal situation, yes, a researcher reports a bug to Apple, Apple fixes it and then says, okay, you know, you're free to talk about it because it's it's patched. Uh, I think they expect to see the draft of the blog post, if you have a blog post, Um you know, I don't know how much that is enforceable. Um, like in this case, I don't know if Apple can take any action against the the researcher. But yeah, this is rare because usually researchers just play nice because, you know, they, they at the end of the day, uh, this person and many researchers just want these things to be fixed. Uh, you know, they don't want to see the world uh, burn or the internet burn or iPhones burn, uh, figuratively speaking. Um, but yeah, as you said, it's also rare in general just because... You know, sometimes when when a bug is fixed, there's no point in uh, publishing the exploit code because it's already done. Other times, researchers believe that it's not responsible to release the exploit code, both bef especially before a patch, because the the belief there is that you know you're basically teaching anyone on the internet to take advantage of it. Um, and even when it's patched. Uh, you know, people are slow at patching, uh, especially if we're talking about uh, systems or applications that are used by large companies. That that's not just, you know, patching those those things is not just uh, you and I going into our iPhone and updating iOS. It's it's a process that needs a lot of um, a lot of approvals. It takes time. Uh, so publishing exploit code is generally believed to be. A sensitive thing to do, like in the sense that you gotta you gotta be a little careful. Um, right. Like in the past, last yeah, so just the last thing, last year GitHub or maybe earlier this year, I forget. Uh, Git, GitHub GitHub took down some exploit code in uh, Microsoft systems. I think it was Windows, uh, and the argument there was that this was too dangerous. You know, someone could have taken them and uh, you know uh, took it uh, innocent people. Right. Um, cool. I think that that's it for today. Um, 
thank you to everyone who is watching us on Twitch. Uh, if you're on Twitch, this will be live on Cyber in an hour or so. If you're listening on Cyber, we're going to be doing this on Twitch probably twice a week. So uh, if you don't want to wait for it to show up in your feed, you can check out twitch.tv slash motherboard TV. Um, I am Editor-in-Chief Jason Kebler. I'm here with Lorenzo Franceschi Bikarai. Uh, please check out our stories on Cineverse, uh, iPhone, Zero Days, Citizen, and everything else that we talked about today. Uh, here we go. Gonna gonna play us out. Um, I am Jason Kepler. I produced and edited this uh, podcast on a mixing board I have in my kitchen. So uh, working on the the bugs here, but um, thanks for listening. See you soon. Thanks, everyone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.